Good morning, Grace 242. My name is Tony Barnes, and today's scripture readings come from Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, and Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. One day Jesus called together his twelve disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. When the seventy-two disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Hey Grace242, Morgan and I have been watching a show called The Shrink Next Door, and several years ago I had listened to the podcast with the same name, but now they've made a show as well called The Shrink Next Door. The Shrink Next Door tells the true story of a psychiatrist named Ike Hershkoff and his wealthy patient Marty Markowitz. Over the course of 30 years, the psychiatrist Ike manipulated and took advantage of Marty Markowitz to the tune of $3 million. One of Marty's assets that Dr. Ike took advantage of was a vacation home in the Hamptons, New York. Ike held extravagant parties at Marty's Southampton home under the pretense that the property was owned by Ike instead of Marty. When Marty's father died, he transferred ownership of the vacation home to Marty and his sister, Phyllis. Here's a picture of Marty and his sister, Phyllis, in front of that Southampton home. But since Marty was more responsible with money, his father made him the executor of his estate. And when Phyllis needed money, Marty bought out her share of the vacation home. Let's put some words up on the screen here. Marty Markowitz owns the Southampton home because he is the son of his father. The home is property of Marty simply out of his relationship to his dad. Furthermore, as the executor of his father's estate, Marty has the authority and the power to do what he wants with the Southampton home. Let's look at our scripture reading today. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to read verses 1 to 2. One day Jesus called together his twelve disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. At the end of last week's episode, I said that disciples of Jesus need the power of Jesus. Look at verse 1 again. The disciples are given power and authority. So let's put those two words up on the screen. Who gives the disciples this authority? Jesus. Jesus is the one who gives the disciples authority to exercise that power. Turn with me to Ephesians 1 verse 22, and as you're turning there, the question we're going to ask while we read Ephesians 1 verse 22 is, over what does Jesus have authority? Said another way, how much authority does Jesus have? Let's read Ephesians 1 verse 22. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. What does Jesus have authority over? All things. What is Jesus the head of? all things. Just to get into the languages for a second, when our English translations say all things, that means all things. <laughs> but what about our government? 
Jesus has authority over all things. What about the world gearing up for another war? Jesus has authority over all things. What about those in the hospital? All things. What about former presidents, the current president, and future presidents? All things. What about COVID, those with it, those afraid of getting it, those who work in the middle of it, the mental damage inflicted as a result of it, the oppression it has wrought? What about all of that? All things. Grace 242. Do we really believe this? Do we really act and live like Jesus has authority over all things? In the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Do we live like this? Do we live like Jesus has all of the authority, that he reigns and is the head of all things, that all things are under his headship and his lordship? Do we really live like all things is true? Church, if it seems like I'm getting really serious about this, it's because I am. Because I think right now we have a moment, we have an opportunity more so than ever before in our lives to live like Jesus has authority over all things. We have a moment, we have an opportunity to counter the narrative of the world with the truth that Jesus is in charge, that Jesus has all the authority, that all things have been placed under his headship. The narrative of the world is live in fear. The narrative of the world is Lose your mind. The narrative of the world is everything's out of your control because we're in control. We have an opportunity to counter this narrative. We got so many people living in fear, losing their minds, going crazy, and we have the opportunity to not live in fear. Why? Because all things, Jesus has authority over all things. We can trust. We don't need to worry about control because we know who is in control. And it's not governments, and it's not world orders, and it's not country leaders, and it's not militaries, and it's not billionaires. They're not in control. Jesus is in control because all things he has authority over. Church, we gotta harness this moment. We can't blow it. We gotta live like Jesus has authority over all things. There's a reformed theologian by the name of Abraham Kuyper who says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. When your feet hit the floor first thing tomorrow morning, I want the truth of all things, the truth of Jesus' declaration of mine over the cosmos to wash over you. Jesus has all the authority in heaven and on earth. And as the one who has all of the authority, he extends the rightful exercise of his power to his disciples in Luke 9. Now, we got to distinguish between these terms, power and authority, because they're not the same thing. Power is ability or capacity. Michael Santini from our congregation is 75 years old. Now, here's why that's important. Because at 75 years old, Michael can bench press 300 pounds. And here's the video evidence to prove it. Michael, at 75 years of age, can bench press 300 pounds and he can do 10 reps of 360 on the incline press. Now that's power. I like to joke about a scenario where some young fool tries to break in and rob Michael Santini's house. And I like to think about this because I can imagine the headline on Not the Onion. 
A 16-year-old thief is in the hospital tonight after breaking and entering the home of a 75-year-old Mequon man. <laughs> wait, wait, what? 16-year-old thief <laughs> gets completely dominated by a 75-year-old Mequon man? <laughs> but that's power. In the weight room, Michael has power because power is ability or capacity. Now, biblically, the bad news about power is that Satan and his demons have power. Satan and his demons are powerful, and we see many instances of Satan and his demons exercising power in Scripture. Look at Luke chapter 8. This is before our Scripture reading today. Look at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read verses 26 to 29. So they arrived in the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to him. For a long time he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. This spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus and his disciples arrive at this region across from the Sea of Galilee and they come across this demon-possessed man who lives in the cemetery. And the demons in this man have power. They have capacity. They have ability because one of the abilities that this man had was to break shackles and chains whenever he was restrained. He would snap those like it was nothing. That's power. That's ability. That's capacity. Satan and his demons have power. They have ability. They have capacity. But Jesus also has power. Look back at your Bible. Look at Luke chapter 8 and look immediately preceding the events that we just read about Jesus meeting the demon-possessed man. What happens immediately before Jesus meets up with the demon-possessed man? What happens in Luke chapter 8 verses 22 to 25? What happens as Jesus and his disciples are sailing across the Sea of Galilee? What's the heading in your Bible there? Jesus calms the storm. Satan and his demons are powerful. They can snap chains and restraints like it was nothing. But Jesus is also powerful because he can calm the weather in a word. But there's one crucial thing that Jesus has that Satan and his demons do not have. And that crucial thing is authority. Power is capacity or ability. But authority is the rightful exercise of that capacity or ability. Satan and his demons have power, but Jesus has the authority to rightfully exercise his power. Look at Luke 8, verse 25, and what's the disciples' response after Jesus calms the storm? When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Jesus has a capacity and an ability that is far greater than the weather, but he also has the authority to tell the weather what to do. And when he does tell the weather what to do, it obeys. When he gives a command, even the wind and waves obey him. Why? Because he has both power and he has the authority to exercise that power. Now go forward again in Luke chapter 8 to the demon-possessed man encounter. And we're going to read verses 28 to 33. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. 
This spirit had often taken control of the man, even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles. He simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What's your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. The demons have power, and Jesus has power. But Jesus has something the demons do not have, and that is the authority to rightfully exercise that power. When Jesus meets up with the demon-possessed man, what's the posture that the man immediately takes? Well, he bows before Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has all the authority. And then, when Jesus commands the demons to come out of the man, they beg, they plead to go into the pigs instead of to just be dispersed to wherever. And they do not go into the pigs. They cannot act until Jesus gives them permission. And verse 32 says, Jesus gave them permission. And then they went. Why? Because Jesus has all of the authority. The demons have power and Jesus has power, but Jesus has something that the demons do not have. And that is the rightful authority to exercise that power. As the executor of his father's estate, Marty Markowitz has the authority and the power to do what he wants with the vacation home in Southampton. Jesus, as the one with authority over all things, has the right to exercise all of the power. And Luke chapter 8 shows us with both the calming of the storm and his meetup with the demon-possessed man that he has both power and he has the authority to rightfully use that power. Now let's get back to our scripture reading today. Let's read Luke 9 verses 1 to 2 again. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Do you kind of realize how momentous this is and how crazy this is? That Luke just got done telling us about how Jesus calms the storm and Jesus calls the demon out of this man. And then chapter 9 hits and now he says, I'm giving you, my disciples, this authority. And I'm giving you, my disciples, this power. And then in Luke 9 verse 2, Jesus sends his disciples out into his kingdom extending to them his authority and the rightful exercise of his power. Let's go back to the diagram that we've been making. It all starts with Jesus because he is the one with all the power and all the authority to rightfully exercise that power. This makes him the king. In verse 2, Jesus sends out his disciples into the kingdom. Whose kingdom? Jesus' kingdom. So let's put the word king in our diagram. Therefore, it's the king who has all authority to rightfully exercise all the power. And again, what's so mind-blowing about this is here's Jesus, the one who has all the authority and all of the power. And then in chapter 9, verse 1, he's turning around and he's giving that authority and that power to his disciples. What does this mean? What's going on here? This seems nuts. Now, this really does blow my mind that the king of the cosmos who has all of the authority and all of the power, turns around and says to his disciples, here, I'm giving you this authority and I'm giving you this power. I don't know exactly what this means. There's a lot of questions around this, the answers to which are hidden in the sovereignty of God. There's a lot of mystery, but I think we can probe this a little bit by asking some questions. The big question is, what does it mean 
that the all-powerful, all-authoritative Jesus turns around and gives that authority and that power to his disciples. What does that mean? Well, the first probing question is, does this make us all authoritative and all powerful like Jesus? And the answer is, absolutely not. God is God and we are us. And we need to maintain that distinction because all powerful and all authoritative only applies to God. That certainly doesn't apply to us as fallen sinful human beings. Romans 11 verse 36 says, for everything comes from Him and exists by His power and is intended for His glory. It's all about Him. We only exercise the power of Jesus under the authority of Jesus. When we talk about Luke 9 verse 1 and Jesus giving us power and authority, we have to remember that we only exercise the power of Jesus under the authority of Jesus. It's Jesus who has the authority and then extends that to us. So it's only under his authority that we exercise his power. Second question, does this mean I can do miracles? And the answer is no, you can't do miracles. But God can do miracles in and through you. In John 15 verse 5, Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Remember, the power is Jesus's and the authority to enact that power is Jesus's. And he is the one who extends his power and the authority to enact that power to us. We function under his authority. Marty Markowitz was only one of many patients that Dr. Ike took advantage of. The name Gwyneth Paltrow comes up a lot as someone who also was taken advantage of by Dr. Ike. And for the 30 years that Marty was seeing Dr. Ike, Dr. Ike was practicing medicine under the authority of the state of New York. Last year, Ike Hirschkoff had his medical license revoked by New York Department of Health. And in my opinion, it's a great injustice that this was the only consequence he faced. He didn't face any jail time. I don't think he faced any fines. All he did was had to have his medical license revoked. But when Ike was practicing psychiatry, he was exercising the power of psychiatry under the authority of New York State. Now that the authority of New York State has revoked his license, he no longer has the right to exercise the power of psychiatry. When it comes to the power and authority named in Luke 9 verse 1, it's absolutely critical that we not read that as our power and our authority. It's absolutely essential that we read that as Jesus's authority to rightfully exercise Jesus's power and that Jesus's authority and Jesus's power are extended to us as his followers. There's a verse that both captivates me and frightens me at the same time. It's always done that to me. And that verse is John 14, verse 12. Look at what Jesus says. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. When I read that verse, it's like, what do you mean, Jesus? It's like, there he go, talking no sense again. What do you mean? I mean, Jesus, you told the storm to shut up and it obeyed. And you know what happens when a storm rolls in and, at my house? I got to get out the generator, yank that thing a few times to get it going, plug an extension cord in, run the extension cord down to my basement, plug my sump pump in, only to keep the water out of my basement. Like, that's how powerless I am. That just to keep the water out of the basement, I got to go through this whole generator process. And yet you can speak a word and the storm calms. I don't feel very powerful. And yet you tell us that we will do the same things 
as you, and then you even up the ante and say, we will do greater things than you. And from my seat, it's like, I can't do the things you did, much less greater things. And that's right. That's correct. I can't do the things Jesus did. And I certainly can't do greater things than Jesus. But if it's Jesus who is extending his authority to me, and if it's Jesus who's rightfully enacting his power in and through me, then there's no limit on what can happen. If it's all Jesus, then there's no limit because nothing is impossible with God, right? Last question. If there's no limit on what Jesus can do in and through me, then why don't I see this in my own life? Why don't I see the power of Jesus in and through me? Why don't I see the miraculous? Why don't I see the authority and the power of the King of Kings in my life? Let's go back to the John verse we just read, John 14, verse 12, and pay very close attention to the first part of verse 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Anyone who believes in me. Belief in Jesus is a prerequisite to Luke 9, verse 1. Belief in Jesus is a prerequisite to authority and power being extended. Not only that, but there's a strict ordering of priorities here. Turn to Matthew 6, verse 33. In Community of Men, we've been reading the Sermon on the Mount, and these words of Jesus, Matthew 6, 33, come to us from that very sermon. Let's read Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. The power and the authority extended to us are not our own. They are the power and the authority of the King, King Jesus. And what does Matthew 6 verse 33 tell us? Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the King and his kingdom. Seek first King Jesus. Why am I not seeing this power and authority made manifest in my life? Why am I not seeing the supernatural in my life? I'm guessing it's because you're not seeking first the King and his kingdom. I'm guessing it's because something else besides King Jesus has priority number one in your life. If you want to see the supernatural power of Jesus in and through you, seek first the King and his kingdom. In part two of this message, we're going to dive into the second part of our scripture reading which is Luke chapter 9, verses 17 to 20. And we're going to see how son and daughtership play a critical role in being a disciple of Jesus. And for the note takers out there, we're going to continue filling out that diagram we started making today. You're not going to want to miss it. I'll see you next time, Grace 242.